Redwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, I love basketball. I love basketball. I love everything about basketball. Uh, so you can imagine that March is one of my favorite months uh, because there's basketball everywhere. You can also imagine, because I love basketball, just the giddiness I feel inside of me at the prospect that my son might like basketball also. Uh, he's two years old, and already I see you know, the, the interest in basketball. You think I'm exaggerating. This is the truth. People were questioning me about this after the first service. What I'm getting ready to tell you are honest facts, all right? Um, he, he loves basketball. He has little little shorts that he likes to wear, basketball shorts, a tank top. Uh, he got a, a basketball goal for his second birthday. He likes to shoot hoops out in the backyard. It's one of his favorite things. I think his third word, actually fourth word, after mom, dad, and no was ball. And, and so, you know, all this was kind of building in his life. When he wakes up from his nap in the afternoon, uh, sometimes that's kind of a grumpy time of day for him. And uh, when he wakes up from that nap, sometimes the only thing that will console him is if Kimberly will turn on ESPN Classic and old NBA games. I mean, not, not the new stuff, the good stuff. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Isaiah Thomas. That's the stuff that comforts my son. And, and I got to tell you, I love that uh, about him. And, and because Joshua likes basketball, uh, this week was a particularly good week. In addition to kind of the basketball-intensive television that was this weekend, uh, in addition to that, we had the opportunity to do a couple other things. We, we got a chance to go to an Oklahoma City Thunder game this week. It's the first time been up there and taking Josh to the game, and that was a big deal, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then actually, on Wednesday night of this week, uh, I have a friend that invited me and Josh to go along with him to the season ticket holders party. Uh, like a, a season ticket holder appreciation party. And so we went, and that was a lot of fun. And, and I actually got some pictures uh, from the event. But there's Josh and I with uh, uh, Russell Westbrook, who is, uh, you know, my favorite Thunder player. And, and uh, he's the point guard for the team, rookie of the year candidate. There we are. Uh, also, there was a drum line, the drum line that, that, that plays at the games to get everybody all fired up. They let Josh play on their drums for a while, and that was a big hit. Um, we even got a picture with Rumble, the mascot. Um, and if you notice, I don't know if it comes through clearly, but he wants no part of Rumble, all right? Um, now, what you need to know is on the way up there, he just kept saying over and over again, Rumble, 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 Rumble. I thought he was excited to see him until we got up close, and then I found out that he was really terrified of the man, and we were headed there. But, um, you know, that, that experience of uh, taking him to that, to that event reminded me of all of the different pieces that it takes to make up an NBA team. Right? In order for the, the Oklahoma City Thunder to be a team in Oklahoma, it takes all of these different kinds of people. It takes people that sell tickets. It takes people that take care of season ticket holders, and they do a good job, I found out this week. And, and it takes um, players from all these different backgrounds and, and heights and, and positions to come together in, in, in one, on one team. It takes coaches. It takes drum lines to get the crowd excited. It takes mascots. Uh, to scare little children. It takes all of these people together to make up an NBA team, uh, uh, and many, many more that I haven't even referenced. And I was just thinking about that this week as I was contemplating the fact that we were going to take communion today. And I was thinking about how all of those varied and diverse people that make up an NBA franchise are really united by one thing, 
They're united by the Oklahoma City Thunder. They're united by that team. They come from different backgrounds. Some of them are, are, are you know, acrobatic buffaloes, and others of them are talented players from Europe, but they have all come together, and they're united by one thing, which is this team. And as I think about communion in the Lord's table and us gathering around this table to share this meal together, I'm reminded of the fact that we, too, are a varied and diverse group of people. We, too, are people from different backgrounds and experiences, and we come together around this table, and we remember that we are united by one thing also. But that one thing is the person of Jesus Christ. And so there is unity expressed at this table, and that's what we're going to look at today. And really, we're going to talk about it in terms of being the body. And we're going to see it from two different passages. Uh, one of them is from Mark chapter 14, verses 17 to 25, and the other is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. So we're going to head there today with a little bit of reflection, and then we're going to have an opportunity to celebrate communion together. So if, if you've got a Bible, take it and open to Mark chapter 14. That's where we're going to begin. Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to begin, beginning in verse 17. Mark 14 is at the end of Jesus' earthly life. He had come down to the earth. He had already fed the 5,000. He'd already fed the 4,000. He'd already walked on water. He'd already preached the Sermon on the Mount. He'd already gathered 12 disciples. And now he was at the point of his life where he was focused on the cross. He knew his days were coming to an end. He was focused on the cross of, of Golgotha, where he was going to offer his life as a sacrifice for the sins of you and me. And on the night before he goes to that cross, he gathered with his disciples and he had a meal. And that's what we see in Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 17. I'm just going to read these verses for us. It says, When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it was written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born." While they were eating, Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, he gave thanks, and he offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. You see, we could look at lots of different things in this passage. Uh, but what I want us to see is I want us to see one thing. That one thing is this. Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus says, this is my body, as he held that cup. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus gathered for this meal with a select set of people. This wasn't a meal that he was going to share on a hillside with thousands. This was a meal he was going to share with a specific group of people, with the twelve. It says right there in verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. He was going to celebrate this meal not by himself, but with his closest friends. Not, by those, not, not, not with those who opposed him, but with those who were with him. Jesus was going to celebrate this meal 
with the twelve. He arrived with them. Now, the meal that they were going to celebrate was the Passover meal. It was a meal that was celebrated from the time of the Exodus forward, where God's people had a meal where they, they looked back and remembered God's deliverance from the nation of Israel from Egypt, and they looked forward to God's ultimate deliverance that he was going to provide. And Jesus gathered with his disciples to share this meal together. Um, and what's interesting is, as, as Jesus gathered, he says, for this meal, he holds up the bread and he gives it new significance. He holds up the bread and he says, from now on, when you see this bread, remember my body. He says, this is my body. Now, you, you may come from a background where you have heard that taught in such a way where the bread actually becomes the body of Christ. But what's interesting is, the body of Christ was standing there holding it the first time Jesus said it. So I don't think what he's saying is, this bread is physically flesh, I think that what Jesus was saying is, I'm giving a new symbol to this bread. And the symbol that I'm giving it is to say that this bread is a symbol of my body. Now that was significant because the body of Christ is what was going to be broken on the cross. It was going to bleed on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. But it was the body of Christ that did more than just forgive us from our sins, but it also united people who would never have been united otherwise. See, the 12 people that arrived with Jesus weren't buddies prior to Jesus coming on the scene. Now, there were some of them that knew each other. There were some of them that were, were related to each other. But as a whole, the 12 were a very diverse set of people. They didn't come into the world best friends. Now, sometimes we can think of the 12 disciples as like a team, a traveling team that Jesus decided to adopt. No, these were 12 diverse people that Jesus, that Jesus decided to call to himself. It was in the body of Christ that they found their unity. And a great illustration of that is just to think of two of the disciples. You know, one of the disciples was named Matthew, also known as Levi. What was Matthew's job? Whispers everywhere. He was a tax collector, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Now, that, that was not like just a simple IRS agent today. Uh, the tax collectors in Jesus' day uh, were not looked upon very highly. Not that IRS people, are, we give them ticker tape parades, but there, it was even worse in that day, right? Um, because tax collectors in that day got their job in this way. The Roman government would say, okay, in the area of Galilee, we believe that Galilee owes the empire of Rome $10,000 in tax. Who wants that bid? And so somebody would bid it, and they'd say, okay, you, the first $10,000 you collect goes to Rome. Everything else you collect is your salary, okay? So not only would the person who got the job, like Matthew, be working for Rome, but he was also double-crossing all of his countrymen, right? They knew that every fancy coat that he wore, every nice pair of sandals on his feet, he had taken from them. He was not a very... Uh, popular person. He was persona non grata in that world. That's Matthew. On the other hand, there was a man named Simon. Now, there are a, a couple of Simons. There was Simon Peter, but there was another Simon, and that Simon had a, a title that went with him. Does anybody remember what that is? Simon the Zealot. Simon the Zealot. Now, that doesn't mean that he was just a lot of fun at parties, right? Simon, he wasn't that kind of zealot. Simon was called a zealot because he was a part of a political party. And that political party had a specific mission and agenda, and that mission and agenda was to throw everything Rome out of Palestine. 
They were zealots for Israel of the old days, and they wanted no part of Rome. They didn't like Roman culture. They didn't like Roman dress. They didn't like Roman money. And they certainly didn't like people who were working for Rome. So right there in Jesus' 12, you have one who was working for Rome and one who wanted to overthrow Rome. That would have made for some interesting tent-side conversations. But they were united in Christ. You think about other differences between the disciples. We have disciples that said a lot of things. Peter always had his mouth open. All the way through the Gospels, Peter has his mouth open. We have other disciples that we don't have any record of them ever opening their mouth. Maybe because they didn't have an opportunity. But we have loud disciples and we have quiet disciples. We have disciples who were from the countryside, who were fishermen, and we have disciples who were more city folk. This is a diverse set of people, but they found their unity in something. They found their unity in the call of Christ on their lives. So that when Jesus gathered with his disciples and he said, this is my body, and they looked around the table and they saw this random set of people, how could they ever find connection with these people? They find connection in them because of the body of Christ. And as you sit down and you eat a meal together, it reminds you of the unity that you have. I don't know if, if, this is, if your experience is like mine, but when I go to be with family, we eat. Is that the way your family is? When you get together with family, you eat, especially after you leave home. Uh, Kimberly and I go home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for any event, really. When we get there, the first thing we do, Joshua goes in the high chair, we all gather around the table, and we eat. After we eat, we do the dishes, put the dishes up, then we get food out and we eat again. Then we do the dishes, then we go to bed and we get up and we do it all over again. Uh, and that is family time for us. But what's interesting is we have family that live all different locations. You know, my sister lives in Little Rock and we live in Norman. My parents live in northern Oklahoma. And when we gather together, though, and we sit around that table and we eat, we're reminded not of what makes us different, but what, about what brings us together. See, that's what happens around a table. And when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he held it up and said, this is my body. This is what draws you together. Don't ever forget it. And, and you know, when I, when I say that, you might be tempted to think, boy, I'm really reading a lot of my own thoughts into this passage. But really, God gives us direction in other areas of his word that let us know that that was part of the intended meeting. See, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we get some insight. It's some insight into meaning of communion. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, because there is one loaf, he's talking about communion here, because there is one loaf of bread that is being broken and shared between people, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. In other words, when we gather together to have communion, we're remembering the forgiveness that is offered to us because of the body and the blood of Christ, but we're also remembering the unity that we have as believers as we share one meal together. What an awesome truth that is. We who are many are one because we partake of one body. It's the body of Christ that unites you and me. You know, as, as, as you look around this room, just, just take a moment, just look back and forth down the aisles, look over your shoulder, and think of all the people in this room that you would in no way be connected to were it not for the body of Christ. 
Lots of people here that you would never... People that have become dear to you. People who help lift up you when you're down. People that pray for you when you're sick. People that care for your needs when, when you're in most in need. All of those connections and relationships that would be totally absent from your life were it not for Christ drawing you together. Sure, around this room you might see some people who you might play golf with anyway, or you might have lunch with anyway, or you might work with anyway, or be related to anyway, but not on the whole. On the whole, we are a diverse group of people who are united because of the one body of Christ. That's what draws us together. Now, this, this point was driven home to me uh, last week. Uh, we had a, a friend that, that, that came to America and brought with her a friend of, of hers who was a North African believer from a Muslim background who had trusted in Christ and was traveling across the country. And we had the chance to host her for a couple of days. Her name was Awatif, and uh, it was awesome. We got to have dinner with her. We got to give her a tour of OU. Scott Hodson uh, opened up, saw us walking around the campus. Let's come in and let Awatif act like she was running a television production at the Journalism College. And, and uh, Carrie Magruder gave us a tour of the History of Science collection, and she saw some old thousand-year-old Arabic books and all this. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And I remember at lunch, I was just thinking, how in the world do, am I connected to her? How in the world do we have the privilege of sitting here and talking to a Watif? I mean, we, we speak a different language. We're from a different country. We have different national anthems. We have different cultural backgrounds. Our parents believe different things. Um, all of these differences, what is it that draws us together? And the answer is, this is my body. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are united together. And you know what? The same thing is true of everyone sitting here right now who is trusted in Christ. We have a unity because there is one body. You know, so many times we spend all this time talking about how we're different. When we have this moment of communion with the Lord around this meal, let's forget the reasons why we're different. And let's remember the reason why we're the same. We are one in Christ. The one body of Christ has brought us together. And when we stand and we, we celebrate this later on today, be mindful of the fact that we're not just one with those in this room, but we're one with those all over the world who have called on the name of Christ. From the first meal that was shared in the upper room to today and on into the future, when we share of this body, we are showing unity with believers everywhere because there's only one body to be shared. There's only one body of Christ. The first thing that we need, I wanted us to see today is Jesus says, this is my body. That brings unity to us. The second thing, though, that I think that we need to see is something that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he says that we are the body. We are his body. If you've got a Bible, flip over to 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 12. It says this. It says, The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. 
If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. If the the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You see, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is reflecting on this truth, and he says that we are the body of Christ. And as he's reflecting on that, he, God brings to his mind the fact that we're different. Now, we just spent some time talking about how we're unified in Christ, that there's one body that we partake of. But as we're unified in Christ, we're also diverse. We're all very different. He uses the example of a body to beautifully help us understand that. Because in a body, there's many different parts. The body has eyes, it has ears, it has noses, it has feet, it has hands. If, if the body was all eyes, you could see great, but you couldn't hear. If it was all ears, you could hear, but you couldn't see. If it was all noses, you would smell, but, you know, you get the idea. There, there's, there's this sense in which all of the parts are necessary. All of the parts of a body are necessary in order to do what a body was created to do. Now, here's an important thought on that as it relates to us who are diverse parts of the body. Knowing that we are diverse ought to remind us that we are all necessary, that we're all necessary. This is not just something to stroke your ego with. This is a scriptural principle. We are all necessary. Now, I don't mean that we're necessary for God. I mean, God is in need of nothing. Everything that God offers to us is a gift from him right? God is self-existent, eternally needing nothing. But in God's providential plan, God has chosen to create people in His image who interrelate to one another in such a way that they're all needed. Every part is needed. Let me me put it this way for you. Um, Imagine if we were all the same. If we were all the same, then some of us might not be needed. Using the picture of of the body, if we were all eyes, if everybody in this room was an eye, and 50 people walked out the door, would you still be able to see? Yes. Why? Because we're all the same. If we're all the same, not everybody is important. But if we're all different, taking 50 people out the door leaves a huge hole. It leaves a huge void. Because there is part of the body that is then missing. Out the door might walk the hands, the feet, the heart. Out the door might walk things that are are necessary and needed because all of the parts are arranged by God and are placed here for a reason. 
You are here for a reason, and you are necessary to the functioning of the body of Christ at Wildwood Community Church. And that's by God's design. You know, many times we think about our participation in church as something that is merely for us. Do I go to church today or not? Well, I don't know. It might be fun. It might be not. I don't know. We'll see. Do I participate in a, a, a small group? Well, it might be fun. It might be not. I don't know. We'll check my calendar. Do I serve or not serve? Well, I don't know. We'll see if I've got time. Da, 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 da. We think of it in terms of us. But have you ever stopped to think that you are a necessary part of what God is doing here? You're a necessary part. You know, we, we, are, we are sad when you're not here, and it's not just because there's a, you know, more of a, of a maroon tone to the room if you're not in here, right? I'm sad that you're not here because of a theological reason. If you're not here, that means that part of the body is missing. And when part of the body is missing, it impairs the function of the body. And that happens across the board in many different ways. Inside your bulletin every week, it talks about three different light posts for involvement here at Wildwood. It talks about how there's opportunities to worship, there's opportunities to connect, and there's opportunities to serve. And you know what? I believe this body principle applies in all three areas. You're a necessary part of all three areas. You're a necessary part of worship here. You realize that if you're not here in worship, that more than just an empty seat, I mean, if it's just an empty seat, we'd get seat fillers from town that would just come in and fill a seat, right? If it, this is more than that. If you're not here, there's more than just an empty chair. There's a voice missing from our choir singing praise to God. If you're not here, there is, there is one less person to, to look around and see as we declare unity together when we take the body of Christ in communion together. There's one less visual reminder of your presence and participation in our body here. Uh, your, your, your involvement here in worship is necessary. The same thing is true about your involvement financially. I'm not saying that so that you give more. I, I'm saying that because it's just we just need to think about that. God has placed us here for a reason. We're a necessary part of the body in our presence and participation in worship in all ways. Our, our presence is, is, is important and necessary when it comes to our connection with others. If you're not a part of the small group that you're in, then, then there's a void that's missing. There might be a comment that you offer that is significant in somebody else's life. There, there might be a handshake, a, a hug, a, a time that you stop and pray with somebody. All these different things that, that God might do through you that might be missing if you weren't a part of that group. So you're a necessary part of that group as well. God wants to bless others through you as you participate in that group. I'm not so arrogant as to think that only people that stand on this stage have something to offer. What a woefully inadequate statement. All of us are necessary parts of the body. All of us are necessary parts. If you're not serving, there's a unique way in which God has gifted you to serve. And I don't mean just serving like you got a title and a badge. I mean just using who God has made you to be to minister to others in some way. It might be at work, it might be in the community, it might be in the, within the walls of the church. If you're not doing that, there's a necessary part of the body of Christ that's missing. And any time there's a necessary part that is missing, the body is dysfunctional. You know, if, if you've ever seriously injured a part of your body, you know this to be true. You know, several years ago, I severed my Achilles tendon and, and, and uh, ruptured. And when that happened, I lost function of my foot. And it's amazing, you know, you think, what's a foot, right? Not a big deal. I mean, everything else is still there. It's still there. It's just not functional anymore. 
And when the foot is not functional, it's amazing what you can't do. You're, you're on crutches all the time, and you can't even carry something from the counter to the sofa, which is a big deal in my life. So you know, that's something that's lost when you're on crutches. You're, you're dysfunctional in some way. When it's your right leg, you can't drive. You're dependent upon other people for rides. Um, that was an American thing to say, right? We all got our own cars. But, you know, th- just it, it changes your life, right? It changes your life. When the body is dysfunctional, when a part isn't working, a necessary part is missing for us to do what God has created us to do. You're necessary to the body life at Wildwood. You ever thought about that? See, when Jesus gathered with his disciples that night, He gathered with a diverse set of people, and he said, this is my body. You are unified in me. Never forget it. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one in Christ. But then he says that we're the body. We're diverse, meaning we're all necessary. This morning, we're going to end our service by taking communion together. And as we take communion, we have an opportunity to declare together publicly and before the Lord that we are one and we are diverse, so we are necessary. Consider that as we go before the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that you have given us today. And I thank you for the awesome privilege of being united with this group of believers. Father, I think of the people in this room that you have blessed me through in intense ways, and I would never have known them apart from you. And so, Father, I just want to thank you, because when your son went to die on the cross, you offered me forgiveness and eternal life, but you also offered me a community of believers united in the one body. I thank you for that. And, Father, that is true for all here who call on your name for salvation. We thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts now as we celebrate the awesome fact that we are one in you. In Jesus' name, amen.